Hey everyone. As you know, I'm a huge fan of living a healthy lifestyle, including taking the right supplements. Collagen is one of my favorite supplements. It is the most abundant protein in the human body. As we grow older, we break it down faster than we can replace it. This loss affects our skin, nails, hair, muscles, joints, and tendons, bones, and gut, making us look and feel old. Totem Voss is a wellness company that created a collagen chew for a real-life person, the 78-year-old mother of the founder. As a result, the quality is unrivaled. Totem Voss chews contain equal part deep-sea Icelandic cod, domestic grass-fed beef, and organic chicken bone broth, along with companion ingredients such as vitamin C for full collagen synthesis. These varied sources address a greater range of collagen needs within the body. Their customers are reporting results with such problems as rosacea, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, degenerative disc disease, as well as improved hair, skin, and nails. Practitioners are finding the juice to be an effective tool in restoring gut health. You can find Totem Voss, that's T-O-T-U-M-V-O-S, at getchews.com. That's getchews.com. Use code DRDIVA, that's D-R-D-I-V-A, for an additional 10% off your first order. Functional medicine, in which I'm also trained, is a wonderful blend of modern medicine as well as Ayurveda. The principles are so similar. You're looking for the root causes of illness and really to enhancing the health of the body so that the body can do as much natural healing as possible. To me, it's really important to rebuild the foundations for health. And then the medications are able to work better or they may not be needed at all. Hello, this is Dr. Deva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I have Dr. Valencia Porter with me. Dr. Porter is a leader in integrative, preventive, and environmental medicine combining ancient wisdom traditions such as Ayurvedic medicine with modern science. For more than a decade, she's worked with Dr. Deepak Chopra, providing integrative medical consultations and teaching health professionals and the community how to achieve total mind, body, spirit health. Her book, Resilient Health, How to Thrive in Our Toxic World, is a handbook for the toxic age based on her research, clinical experience, and personal healing journey. Her clinical practice focuses on health optimization. Dr. Porter, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Thank you. So glad to be with you today. Thank you. So your, it's, your background is very interesting. I mean, you, you did some training in integrative medicine, and then you furthered your training by doing some uh, Ayurvedic medicine. I'm curious, like, how did you fall into Ayurvedic medicine? Yeah, I mean, it all kind of came simultaneously. I started out my career in child neurology, actually. And while I was doing that training, um, you know, I was very frustrated by the limitations of conventional Western medicine, because at that time, all that, well, and probably still today, <laughs> most of what we had to offer was pharmaceuticals that had really not great side effect profiles um, and incomplete solutions for many of my my 
patients. And so my patients kept coming to me with, you know, I want to try this gluten-free diet. I want to try osteopathy. I want to try, you know, all these different things. And I really didn't have very much background there. Simultaneously, I was having my own health issue with some spine problems and was told at age 25 that I needed a spinal fusion. And uh, that was when I was in medical school and I had already rotated through orthopedics and saw what happens when people get spinal fusion. So at age 25, I'm thinking, wow, am I going to live a lifetime with, with this? So I was doing everything that I could to avoid having a spinal fusion. So I was exploring acupuncture and movement therapies and, you know, you, you name it. I was trying that to help my own um, back to heal. And it got to a point where I was under so much stress from the neurology fellowship, so much stress from this chronic pain situation and being on my feet for, you know, 16, 24, 36 hours a day um, that my mind, body and spirit broke. And at that time, I did decide to go have spinal surgery. I was um, involved in a clinical trial and actually got a disc replacement instead of a spinal fusion. I was randomized to that. And when I opened my eyes, you know, the first thing I said was, what did I get? <laughs> you know, did I get the disc replacement or did I get the fusion? I got the disc replacement. And then in my recovery, I remember I was, you know, still doped up on pain medication not able to read, but I had my tapes. And one of my tapes that I was going to was Deepak Chopra, um, found of healing meditations and other, you know, mind, body, spirit to really calm down, to focus on mind, body, spirit healing. And then when I got to the point where I could focus and read again, I started reading his books and I'm a cover to cover reader. And I got to the back of one of the books and saw he's in Carlsbad, California, which is you know, just down the road from where I live. And so I went to the Chopra Center and at that time was able to participate in a, you know, healing retreat with him and uh, the co-founder of the Chopra Center, Dr. David Simon. And there were just eight of us going through this program. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And that's when I got introduced to Ayurveda. And when I learned about that, I thought, oh, wow, this is what's missing in healing. This is what's missing in our medical practice. And I, you know, my eyes were opened so wide that I I couldn't stop. And so I, I jumped in wholeheartedly and I just started pursuing all of that information that I could because I really found that You know, Ayurveda has a long history, thousands of years, and there's many branches to Ayurveda, but one of the things that I love about it is its focus on prevention and maintenance of health. And at that time, I decided to shift. I went back and did a new residency in preventive medicine. So I felt like with child neurology, I was, you know, trying to get the train that has been derailed back on the tracks again, back running again. And I thought with preventive medicine, why not try to keep the train on the tracks in the first place? It takes a lot less effort to keep the train on the tracks than it is to write a derailed train. 
So, you know, part of that experience for me was exploring all of these different healing modalities from around the world. You know, I, I got training in acupuncture as well. And then my husband and I just decided to go on a journey to India. And we spent some time with some Ayurvedic physicians over there. And it was, it was just amazing. So the training that you had in, in the States, was that a full Ayurvedic medicine program that you were enrolled in? And <laughs> so My Ayurvedic training comes from a variety of different places. So, you know, it really started with the Chopra Center. And then I, I had some experience in India. It wasn't an official program, but I was shadowing some Ayurvedic physicians. And then when I came back, I was in the midst of the fellowship with Andrew Weil at the University of Arizona, the uh, Center for Integrative Medicine and ended up getting a job at the Chopra Center again. <laughs> and then, you know, did some deep dives there with David Simon, who was amazing. Um, and then did some training with David Frawley with his Ayurvedic center as well. So, and then also Vasant Laud at the Ayurvedic Institute. So I just kept learning from various different sources yeah. um, and then, you know, became a certified Ayurvedic consultant with the Chopra Center. It's amazing and interesting because I, I also finished the integrative medicine program at University of Arizona. Yeah. And they teach you a little bit about uh, more like an introduction to Ayurvedic medicine. And you went all in. You went uh, and, and got yourself, you know, more knowledge and education in it. So how has that influenced the way you practice medicine? I mean, you basically course corrected. You went from, you know, Western medicine you know, to, to preventative, integrative, and Ayurvedic. So, you know, with all the tools, you know, how is your approach different when you see a, a patient? Yeah, I love utilizing Ayurvedic medicine as a basis from which I practice. So, um, as you know, Ayurveda is really, you know, it's a preventive practice, but it also is a lifestyle. So it focuses on healthy eating, healthy lifestyle, healthy habits, which many of us are missing in Western society. So that's a wonderful framework as well. And then it focuses on the doshas, the mind, body, spirit, constitution, which I find to be fascinating. And when I inform my clients of, of these principles and open their mind to exploring some of this, they, they see themselves in these different doshas. There's three major ones. And, and then they're able to resonate with, oh, okay, I understand that. And that's why this lifestyle is more suitable to me. And what's been interesting to me about, um, you know, these Ayurvedic doshas is that now that we're able to look at genomics, now that now they're finding that it's actually validated in the genomic studies. So these ancient, you know, seers in India could see these patterns um, and identify these patterns. But now we're able to see like this actually translates into genomics and into our physiology. There's like a scientific rationale behind these, you know, three different mind body spirit types. And yes, there are blends. We're all a blend. Um, but sometimes people have these predominant mind, body, spirit types. So I use that as a framework from which I'm able to use, you know, modern medicine as well as functional medicine. So to me, functional medicine, in which I'm also trained, is a wonderful blend of modern medicine as well as Ayurveda. The principles are, are so similar. You're looking for the root causes of illness and really to enhancing the health of the body 
so that the body can do as much natural healing as possible. And then for me, the rest is where, that's where modern medicine can come in. Mm -hmm. To me, it's really important to rebuild the foundations for health. And then the medications are able to work better, or they may not be needed at all. Exactly. And I, I totally agree with that. It's, I mean, I, I want to applaud on, on your continued efforts to, to seek education and, and tools and modalities to better your patients. And that's what it's really all about. And I, I kind of had the same philosophy because Western medicine kind of failed me. And I really think that I wanted to explore other modalities and treatments that are out there for, for patient care and education. And with Ayurvedic medicine, I understand that you were talking about uh, briefly alluded to the three doshas. Can you go into more detail about what that is? Yeah. So um, everything in the universe is made up of these five great elements, according to Ayurveda, and that's air, space, fire, water, and earth. So all of these different elements have different properties, and the ancient, you know, sages saw that there happened to be some specific patterns. So vata is one dosha, and that is predominantly a combination of air and space. So people with a vata dosha uh, primary have more of those air and space qualities. It's more of a lightness, dryness, coolness. And when we see that in the physiology, people are tend to be more thin, they are fast talking, fast moving, their minds are very active. Um, And when that goes out of balance in the body, that can create things like um, too much air in the system, too much dryness in the system. So joint pains, arthritis, it's associated with movements or neurologic conditions, all of this mental activity. So insomnia, ADD, anxiety, you know, a lot of people see themselves in that. And the you know, I'm, I'm just going to simplify it. The one of the approaches to treating vata and helping with vata is to ground because there's too much air and space, too much movement, everything's all over the place. We want to ground things. And and what I love about Ayurveda is it's it can be really um, harmonious with the environment. So you want to bring balance. So if it's too much lightness, you want to bring some heaviness. Too much dryness, you want to bring in some oil you know, some soothing properties, too much um, coolness, you want to bring in some warmth. So for vata, you know, these heavier, warmer, oilier things. So, you know, I think about vata is like fall. I think about fall in New York City. (laughs) Everything's moving. The leaves are dry and crinkly. The wind's blowing. Things are moving around. What are the things that you crave in that type of situation? These, you know, comfort foods warm, hearty stews and soups and things like that. So that would be very balancing. And it's interesting because oftentimes, you know, our our bodies have an intelligence and often they're looking for the things that are going to bring harmony back. You know, sometimes these cravings become unnatural and, and don't serve us well, but sometimes initially, at least, the cravings can kind of bring us back into harmony. So in a nutshell, that's vata dosha. Pitta dosha, that's heat and fire. That's fire and water combination. (laughs) (laughs) Many physicians are pitta dosha predominant because it's that intensity, that drive. Um, And so mentally very acute, very discerning, can, you know, verge on being judgmental, critical, irritable. 
<laughs> angry, um, but also very warm and personable. You know, these people uh, are Pata people are sorry, Pitta people are natural leaders as well. Um, and then in the body, Pitta is predominant in the gastrointestinal system, in the small intestine, and the liver, and the gallbladder. It's also in the skin as well. And so we see things coming out like heat, rashes, uh, liver issues, digestive issues, ulcers, uh, you know, when Pitta gets too much. And you can also have inflammation in, in the whole body. So then the converse to that would be bringing cooling and soothing things food-wise. So pitta, you know, the heat would be summer season. What do we crave to eat in the summer season? Now that's, that's coming along now here for me. So salads, lighter fare, you know, juicy fruits like the tropical fruits, watermelon, papaya, you know, all those things would be very soothing. Cucumber, cilantro, those would all be great for soothing pitta fire. And then the, the third dosha is kapha, and that's a combination of earth and water. So there is a heaviness, a sluggishness, and a stability. So people who are of kapha dosha tend to be more heavier set, but they're also very stable. These are loyal people. These are the friends that will show up for you no matter what. At work, these are the people you tell them what to do, they will do it. They will make sure that it is done. And, um, you know, when that can get out of balance, it can lead towards a stagnation, a tendency to not want to move, to be more on the couch, to be more sedentary, leading to more accumulation, weight gain, and situations like high cholesterol, uh, overweight, diabetes, and things like that. So the balance for kapha, for this heaviness, is to bring more lightness, more motion. You know, I always say for kapha, we want to uh, lighten it up, move it, and spice it up. So bringing in some, you know, food-wise, you want to bring in spices to, to balance that. And lots of vegetables, lots of lighter vegetables, <laughs> less, you know, of those heavy, like, I would think like a, a French dinner with a lot of heavy cream sauce, that would not be great for kapha. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical ebooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctor2patient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support. And it's interesting. So knowing these doshas and the uh, the types, uh, the categories, and and understanding their body habitus and and their energy, 
do you go in and, and kind of define these for each patient that you see and then go into detail about their lifestyle practices, diet, and then kind of adjust their practices and diet according to their specific dosha, what they should be practicing and, and following? Yeah. So I'm taking all of that into consideration when I'm uh, treating my patients. When I was um, practicing at the Chopra Center, that was a primary focus, and we were very focused on the dosha and telling them about their, their mind-body constitution and the things that we're balancing. But now that I'm in a private practice and have more of a functional medicine practice, the Ayurveda is in the background. And when people are open to it, though, a lot of people haven't heard of Ayurveda. It's a new concept. Um, so for me, it's in the background and I'm doing it subtly with the lifestyle changes. And then if they're open to it, then I'll say, hey, you might want to check this out. This is fascinating. And so then I'll, I'll gauge if they're interested in learning more about Ayurvedic lifestyle. And, and usually people are. But um, I really try to meet people where they are in terms of lifestyle change. And mm -hmm. Uh, over the years, I've realized that I can give somebody a list of 40 different things that they need to do <laughs> to improve their health. But if they can only do three, you know, what good is that list of, of 40 things? So right. um, for me, it's more of a framework of, of my practice and then introducing people to the concepts. But um, I was also actually involved in teaching some of the fellows at the University of Arizona program. So I love teaching physicians also about how they can use this in their practice as well mm -hmm. and seeing, you know, different types of pathologies in terms of these different dosha imbalances. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And obviously, when you are learning all this information, you, know, you probably were able to practice this on yourself with your own health conditions. Can you talk a little bit about how you implemented these strategies for your own health issues? And, and if you don't mind, just briefly, I know you briefly went into about your, your disc replacement. Talk us through about some other issues that you were facing. Yeah, so I, um, I went through another health challenge with this and um, it was while I was working at the Chopra Center and I underwent a period of tremendous stress. I had lost my mom. Um, the co-founder of the Chopra Center also became ill uh, with brain cancer and he subsequently passed. Um, and Dr. David Simon was a tremendous mentor and friend to me. It was a tremendous loss. And then at that time, it was just he and I were the only practicing physicians at the Chopra Center. I had just gone out on maternity leave. So we had only just brought in a, a new physician. Um, and so then the burden of the practice was also on my shoulders. So this was a period of tremendous stress. And um, my health suffered, you know, despite knowing all of these things to do and despite continuing with meditation and a healthy diet and, and a healthy lifestyle as much as I could, there were also these other extenuating factors that were contributing to a great deal of, of stress. Um, it was also right after the financial crisis too. So <laughs> it was just coming from all sides. And, uh, and then I had a mercury amalgam filling that broke off and I, sw I swallowed it. So I ended up with mercury toxicity oh, no. that probably, that probably was what tipped me over, you know, and uh, with my training in environmental, environmental medicine is also what I've seen with a lot of people who have some type of environmentally acquired illness is 
there's like a sequence of steps, like you're, you're being edged towards the cliff. And then that one last thing pushes you over. So it was probably the mercury filling that pushed me over. And then I uh, developed chronic Lyme disease and other co-infections. I grew up on the East Coast. I camped all the time. I know I had tick bites and I, I actually developed some weird neurologic symptoms in college after a tick bite that they were, had worked me up for MS at the time and said, well, you don't have MS. We don't know what it is. Um, and then it went dormant for a long time. And then all these weird neurologic and joint symptoms were developing for me um, again now. And so I was like, what is going on? And I felt like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> I was going around to every, you know, I had access to all of these wonderful healers. I was going around to every single person trying to understand, you know, why, why am I feeling so poorly right now? And it turned out it was, it was Lyme and these co-infections. So I, you know, I had seen a number of chronic Lyme disease patients and knew what that was about. And so I went full court press to, you know, get rid of this. I, you know, did all of the natural things. I also did all the conventional things. I, I, I bombed my system, really. Um, and I knew the consequences. And I was really bummed because at that time, um, I felt that antibiotics was my, my, one of my only choices. Now, yes, I was rebuilding my terrain, my body terrain, but I was, you know, a mother of two with, you know, this job that I needed to have at the time. And I was like, I gotta get, I gotta get back to my health as soon as possible. I have to use everything in my arsenal. And so I was really bummed because I did not want to destroy my microbiome. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Which I had worked so hard to rebuild again. Um, but I did. Um, and and now I've come back from that. But uh, it was a journey. And so I used all of these modalities, everything, you know, that I had available to me to heal. And it took a full year, um, maybe a little bit longer. But I did end up healing. And um, I have knock wood, touch wood. Um, I've been doing wonderfully ever since. But that going back to the doshas and, you know, living a life in harmony with who you are, you know, and really understanding who you are, your makeup, and what would be the optimal lifestyle for you. So knowing what my underlying mind-body physiology is, I have to keep that in check. And I have to know where my tendencies are to get out of balance. So being a predominant Pitta dosha as well. I know I've got that drive. And if I see something, I will just go, 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 go nonstop. That's not going to ultimately serve my health though. So for me, it's been a journey about letting go, about learning to say no and keeping those boundaries and really just honoring and continuing to check in and reminding myself, okay, what is for the best in this situation at this time. And what might have been for the best yesterday may not be for the best today. So really it's about, you know, living that mindful life and continually checking in, continually assessing what, you know, what's going to be most helpful in this situation at this time. Mm -hmm. 
And I guess the overall message that you had to take in was just to slow down. Yeah, not yeah. drive so hard. You know, right. that pitta drive. Uh, That's, was, I know was, it very well. <laughs> yeah, and it was funny because I had seen Dr. Vasant Lad, who's one of the preeminent Ayurvedic physicians in the United States. Um, I had seen him several months before I really started to go downhill and uh, for a pulse practicum. So you learn how to check pulses, these Ayurvedic pulses. And he had checked my pulse and he, he cautioned me. He did caution me. He was like, you got to slow down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And then I'd love to chat a little bit about your book that you, you wrote. I mean, it's, it's an amazing uh, book and talk to us a little bit about what inspired you to write it and just uh, you know, briefly share with us um, the gist of, of what you wrote. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, a lot of this kind of comes full circle. So as I was exploring health and healing, part of part of that for me is using food as medicine. And so when I was in the process of getting my master's degree in public health, while I was doing my preventive medicine residency, um, I, you know, went to a food as medicine conference and heard Dr. Mark Hyman speak. And at that time, it was like way early on before people were, you know, talking about toxins and the dirty dozen list and things like that. Uh, that was tremendously eye-opening for me. And uh, so I decided at that time, I realized as physicians, we don't learn a lot about environmental toxicity beyond poisonings, right? We don't learn about this chemical soup that we're being bathed in. We don't learn about the effects of all of those, you know, micro doses of toxicity. We don't learn about everyday toxins. We didn't learn about BPA and PFAS and, you know, all of these chemicals that we are constantly being exposed to. So I decided to focus my uh, master's degree in environmental health and, and learn a little bit more. So I did that. And then when I was at the Chopra Center, um, we were doing Ayurvedic detox, which was amazing and gentle. And uh, I saw tremendous transformation of people's health just within a short time period. They were with us for six days or 10 days doing this gentle cleanse. And uh, I saw amazing results from people. And I thought, you know, I, I really wanna understand this more from a scientific perspective. There were only a few studies that had been done on, on what's called panchakarma, um, five actions of cleansing. Um, but those studies looked super promising. And I thought, well, there's really something into this. And then around the same time that I was getting sick, all these juice cleanses and detoxes were becoming the rage. And I live here in Southern California, so it seemed like there is a detox smoothie cleanse on every corner. Um, and I saw some of my patients who were getting uh, harmed from doing detoxes in an improper way. I also saw that people were so focused on detoxing the, their food but not necessarily looking at what products they were slathering on their bodies, which our skin is our largest organ. You know, it covers so much of us and 60% of what we put on our skin is absorbed. And particularly women, we use so many different products with so many different potential chemicals in those products that, that we're taking in. So, you know, I saw all of this happening. Plus I was dealing with my own illness, my own mercury toxicity. My mother had had ovarian cancer. My sister had breast cancer. I was like, you know, something's going on here. So 
uh, I was looking for the answers and I was looking for resources and just coming across tons of poorly communicated uh, disinformation on the internet that you know a lot of people were exposed to. And I thought we need something, some handbook for people to like understand in a simple way what the potential exposure is, what the potential risk is, and what they might want to do about it, if anything. So that's where the book came from, Resilient Health. And it's it was really a culmination of all of this research, all of this experience that I had been through. And uh, the focus, you know, the bottom of the pyramid for me is food. That's like our biggest interaction with the environment because most of us are eating several times a day. <laughs> and, you know, we, we became so disconnected from our food sources too. So, you know, m most, many kids, you know, they don't know where food comes from. They don't know what's grown in the ground on a tree. They don't know that, you know, they think that a chicken is a nugget. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, really getting back in touch with food as medicine and, and looking at that primarily and making sure that we're eating foods that are good for us, that are promoting our health and avoiding things that, you know, are potentially damaging to our health, like organophosphate pesticides, um, which are, you know, sprayed all over our foods, glyphosate, you know, that we're seeing you know, some health effects from, and that can really put, uh, you know, put a cog, you know, a stick in the, in the wheel that's going to mm -hmm. prevent you from moving forward in your health. Mm -hmm. So looking at that and then looking at the things that we put on our body. So, you know, alerting people to there's potential dangers there. I, you know, I grew up thinking the government protected me. No, the government protects companies. Big really. business. Yep. <laughs> big misses. So I thought, oh, all these regulations, things are safe. But, you know, we constantly see in the news, this is recalled, this is found to have some unsafe things in it. So really, you know, doing, doing the research yourself, and there's some great resources like the Environmental Working Group, I love. Um, they have wonderful resources and databases. So for instance, like your sunscreen, you can plug in what your sunscreen is and get a score on the hazard rating and and then they break it out into saying well this chemical may um be an endocrine disrupting chemical so interacting with your hormones this one might cause allergies so this this could cause you know potential cancer causing agents so you want to know that stuff and be able to choose products that are uh, more healthy and then looking at things in your home environment and then beyond and What's different about my book, Resilient Health, from other detox books, is that it also looks at the mental, spiritual, societal component, which a lot of people deal with mental toxicity, you know, either their own or, you know, from their surroundings. And we've seen a lot of societal toxicity, you know, come to the forefront in the last couple of years as well. So, you know, how do, how do we manage that and deal with that? Yeah. And so that's a great segue. It's like, so what are your recommendations for dealing with the many toxicities and toxins that we're exposed to, whether it's chemicals, as you alluded to, that we apply on, on our bodies every day um, to what we eat on a regular basis? I mean, there's so many choices and there's so many sources of, of toxins. Like, how, do you, how does a consumer go through and understand what's the best products for their skin? And then also, you know, what, what type of foods should they be consuming? Yeah, so uh, food-wise, so again, to me, that's the, 
the basis. So for me, you're really looking at the plant-based diet. So more plants, and it doesn't have to be all plants. You know, some people prefer to have animal products in their diet, and some people need animal products in their diet. But, you know, so much research has been done to point to a plant-based diet as being the most healthy. Um, so really incorporating those. And there's, you know, wonderful phytonutrients. So these plant-based nutrients, plant-based chemicals that help us promote health, that fight disease, that promote detoxification, um, especially in the vegetable family, those cruciferous vegetables, the broccoli, spinach, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprout family, you know, those are wonderful. You know, nuts and seeds can be wonderful. Um, low glycemic fruits, you know, a lot of people have to watch their sugar level, but you know, some low glycemic fruits, especially like berries, have these superfood qualities to them. They have, you know, so much bang for their buck in terms of providing us with nutrient dense foods. And then moving away from, you know, overly processed foods and leaning more towards natural whole foods. So that's my general dietary approach. And then I tailor it to my client's needs. So I, I don't ascribe to any one diet. I believe we have to look at what's best for us. And people have allergies and food sensitivities and different needs, different stages of life, uh, different health situations. So we really have to tailor that. And then, you know, in terms of what products to use and what to look for, you know, again, I love, you know, the environmental working group, they've got these great databases, you can type in your thing, your product, and look and see how it scores. Um, if they don't have it, you can type in the ingredients and create your own custom score. Um, but for me, it's always trying to go back to the more natural products. If you look at the label, so one of the things is you want to be a great label reader um, for the products. If you look at the label and there's like 20 plus different things, you know, then I'm like, hmm, what is in here? If it has like a bunch of numbers and scientific sounding names, I'm wondering, you know, what is this? But if you're looking at more natural products, you know, that tends to have less harm. Um, but there are there are some natural products that could cause allergies as well. So you have to look at that. One of the things that one of my biggest bugaboos right now is the term fragrance. Fragrance, which to me means nothing. You have no idea right. what is in there. And very often, you know, if they actually go and look scientifically at what is in that, what are the chemical constituents? Very often it's things like uh, phthalates and, uh, you know, other potentially toxic chemicals that are coming from this fragrance. They're volatile organic compounds. Um, and many people get very ill from fragrance. There are some people that can't even walk down the um, supermarket aisle with the cleaning products because it's so overwhelming with all the fragrance. I, I noticed when I was walking in my neighborhood, I, I can tell when people are doing their laundry because <laughs> the scent is just wafting out and um, it, it's, it can be overpowering. So, mm -hmm. but because of our regulations, these companies are not required to disclose what is in their fragrance because that's proprietary information. Mm -hmm. I know exactly. 
And, and last, I know before we run out of time, I really want to get into you know your passion about organic gardening and farming, and a little bit about how you became so passionate about this. Yeah. So, you know, from, from that early time, when I heard that lecture from Dr. Mark Hyman, you know, I became really involved in our, uh, interested in our food system and what's been done to our food system. And so interestingly, my, my great, 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 great grandfather was a physician and in his retirement, he ended up becoming a farmer, you know, and it was because he saw that food creates health. Now, from his time until now, the farming practices have changed drastically. And so, you know, I look at food and organic food and organic farming, you know, for our health, our personal health, our human health, but also for the health of the world. Because what we've seen now is that organic farming practices not only are healthier for us and creating non-toxic food supplies, they're healthier for the environment. Uh, our conventional farming right now is destroying our soils. Um, it's causing a further of climate change. So because the soils are not healthy, they're not able to draw down the CO2. They're not able to help where they could be helping tremendously. Um, and the soils also have become unhealthy so that the foods grown in those soils don't have as much nutrient density as well. So the foods are not as good as they were 100 years ago because we have depleted our soils. Conventional farming also requires massive amounts of chemicals and they're pouring more and more chemicals which are not necessarily helping the situation. They're not creating you know, more abundance of crops. Um, and then they're also you know, causing further environmental destruction with, um, you know, getting into the water table, the water streams, and so now our water is messed up. And then the waters that go into the ocean, then they create dead zones as well because of all the fertilizer. So then they're um, impacting the fish. So organic farming is more than the food that's on our table. It's affecting our whole planet. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why it's, it's a, there's a movement of regenerative agriculture that's going around. It's not as uh, mainstream as I'd like to see it, but um, it's, it's getting some traction, which is great. But to your point, I mean, our soil is so devoid of nutrients and, you know, the regenerative agriculture is all about crop diversity and creating more nutrients into our soil because the topsoil, as we know today, it's just devoid of any nutrients uh, across the board, you know, because as you were alluding to, because of the monocrop culture, secondarily with all the pesticides and and, you know, what we need to do is, is just reverse that, you know, with regenerative agriculture, with these types of new practices for farming, where we're having animals that are there, where instead of putting nitrogen into the ground, into the soil from artificial sources, as you know, we're using natural sources uh, to create that healthy soil uh, for crop diversity. And we haven't had this in a long time. And there's really, our soil has gotten so devoid, as you said, I mean, it's causing some horrible issues that's that secondarily lead to you know adverse effects with our climate because we don't have any any carbon sinks that we used to you know and that's the problem yeah and it's really you know coming back to this holistic approach and you know the the animals that are pooping on your on the on the ground are providing nitrogen in a different way it's a more holistic way and and i love science and science is wonderful but there is something about this you know tendency for us to kind of want to boil it down to just the one thing 
uh, which it seems like we've done with farming. So they just want just the one thing. What's just the one chemical that I need to add? Just the one fertilizer that I need to add? And it similarly, we do that with pharmaceuticals too. So take like white willow bark, which is the basis for aspirin. We boiled it down to just the one thing, acetyl salicylic acid, and then you have side effects. If it's just the white willow bark, which has the wholeness, the intelligence of the whole plant, you don't get those same side effects. Right. So I think there's something about the intelligence of the wholeness that perhaps we're missing when we are drilling down and boiling, trying to boil it down to this one thing. So to me, it's about seeing that one point and then seeing the, the broader view as well. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Dr. Porter, really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today on the show. If our listeners would like to find more information about you, what's the best way of doing so? Yeah, they can visit my website, which is Valencia Porter, V-A-L-E-N-C-I-A. And then my last name is Porter, P-O-R-T-E-R.com. All right. Well, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate speaking with you. 